I am not a perfect man. Some of y'all are having a hard time with that. No, you're not. If you've known me more than about 20 minutes, you know I'm not a perfect man. And I've got a little news for you. Neither are you. We are broken, flawed people that Christ is redeeming and perfecting, right? <laughs> but we are not perfect. Would you like to talk about some of my flaws? I, I'll, I'll just give you a couple. I tend to not to be able to let things go sometimes. Anybody else like that? Yeah. Uh, oftentimes I'll give something away. I'll give a responsibility away and, and get it off my desk. And you know what I'll do? I'll just grab it right back and put it right back on my desk. You're, aren't you supposed to be praying in there somewhere? Sometimes I have the idea that I'd rather do it myself because I don't want to take the time to teach somebody else how to do it. That is a leadership flaw. And sometimes I have this idea that if I let somebody else do it, they won't do it like I would do it. And that's a leadership flaw. Aren't you glad God doesn't use that same kind of control freak mentality? Aren't you glad that God doesn't say, well, just get, get off the stage, son. We, Get, get away from the piano. I can play much better than you can, Donna. What, aren't you glad that God doesn't do that? Aren't you glad that God partners with imperfect people to accomplish His divine purpose? That's what we're going to talk about today. Mikey started us last week with our uh, series on 1 Corinthians. And people come up to me every time he preaches or Matthew Robertson preaches. And they'll, they'll say, man, they're after your job. Like, like I'm supposed to be insulted. No, I'm thankful that regardless of who stands up here, man, they're able to speak words of life and truth. So we started this, this series in 1 Corinthians, and I think that there's something that we got to remember is that the, the, these letters were written to the church. So when Paul is getting corrective and Paul is saying, listen, there's some things that you got to square up and there's some things you got to do better. He's not talking to an unredeemed world. He's talking to us. But there's something that Paul does in this book that I like. I, okay, I like it all. It's, it's all God's word, right? But there's something here. He, he takes this church that's full of broken and flawed and imperfect people that in many ways needs correcting oh and he's gonna correct them but in the very first chapter the first thing he does is he encourages them before he corrects them he encourages them and that's what we're going to talk about today first corinthians chapter one verses four to nine it's in your bulletin it'll be on the screen behind me or you can do something radical and open your own bible that is a novel idea, isn't it? So put your eyes on it. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4 starts, I always thank my God for you and for the gracious gifts He has given you now that you belong to Christ Jesus. Through Him, God has enriched your church in every way with all of your eloquent words and all of your knowledge. This confirms that what I told you about Christ is true. <laughs> 
Now you have every spiritual gift you need as you eagerly await for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. Anybody eagerly awaiting? Verse 8 says, He'll keep you strong to the end so that you will be free from all blame on the day when our Lord Jesus Christ returns. God will do this for He is faithful to do what He says and, and this is the part you've got to get. And he has invited you into partnership with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Pray with me. Father, thank you for just another opportunity to break uh, the bread of life with your word, with your people in your church, learning your word. So God, I just pray that you would anoint us to speak and anoint us to hear and that we would leave here uh, our hearts full of your presence and power and purpose. In Jesus' name, everybody said. Amen. First thing he said was, I always thank my God for you. I always, always circle, yellow highlight, always thank my God for you. And in just a few minutes, if you keep reading, he's going to get kind of stern with them. But he says, I always thank my God for you. So the first thing I want us to talk about today is that you and I need to follow Paul's example and learn to be thankful for imperfect people. It's easy to be thankful with people who have all their stuff together. It's easy to be thankful for the guy that's going to buy your lunch every time you go to lunch with him. It's easy to be thankful for folks that are, are doing right, and acting right, and living right, it's easy to be thankful for those guys. But what about folks that are struggling? See, you've done it, I've done it, you've had a conversation with someone, and you went, oh my goodness, that was exhausting. You didn't feel real thankful in that moment, did you? Well, listen, if you've said that about somebody else, I'm going to let you in a little secret, somebody else has said that about you. You've walked away from a conversation, and somebody went, man, that Dwayne. He's, he'll wear you out. He will. You know. What, but Paul said, I'm thankful always. Even though you're broken. Even though you've got a lot of work to do. Even you've got a long way to go. I'm thankful for you. You know what I wonder? And, and this is just my, this is not my theological brain on. This is just my curious, you know, Dwayne brain. I always wonder, you know, we, be, we believe and we teach that Jesus was 100% God, right? But he lived in a, in a real human body, right? So I wonder, did, did Jesus get sick? Did, did he have, you know, did he, you know, eat too much, you know, too many fish tacos by the fire one night and, and woke up the next morning not feeling well? Now, my theological mind says, you know, he was the breath of life, so he, I guess, healed, you know, I guess. So I, the truth is, we don't really know. I, I would imagine that him being God on foot, he walked in divine health the, the whole time he was here. But, so I can't say for certainty, but here's what I can say for certainty. His body now is broken and flawed. The body of Christ that's on the earth is broken and flawed. See, I scared you for a minute, didn't I? The body of Christ, you and me and every other church in town and on the planet, is full of broken and flawed people, and God's still accomplishing His mission. <laughs> I need to be thankful for you, even in your imperfection, and you need to be thankful for me, 
even in my imperfection. And not just thankful occasionally. Paul said, I'm going to be thankful always. Is that hard? Well, it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be hard. It ought to be easy for me to be thankful for your imperfections. In fact, it ought to be easy for me to be grateful and full of gratitude for your imperfections. Do you know why? Because if the grace of Christ is strong enough to cover your imperfections, His grace is strong enough to cover mine. So I'm thankful that God can use and equip and gift broken, imperfect people just like you. Because if He can do it for you, He can do it for me. (laughs) Because God partners with imperfect people to accomplish His divine purpose. How many know He has a divine purpose for the church on the earth and you're a part of it? In fact, I'm going to go so far as to say you're a big part of it. If you're taking notes, write this down. God gifts imperfect people to fulfill His divine purpose. Only God could take broken, flawed individuals and equip them to accomplish, listen, the greatest mission in the history of the world. The greatest mission in the history of the world. Jesus gave it to us at the end of the book of Matthew. He said, I want you to go and I want you to make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them, teaching them, teaching them what I'm, t- what I'm teaching you. And it worked. Because 2,000 years later, we're still talking about it. And we're still on mission. And we're still trying to make disciples. And we're still eagerly anticipating Jesus returning to take us home. But until until He does, God has a divine purpose for you and a mission for me. And He's going to use us in spite of our brokenness and imperfections. And see, I'm going to tell you guys. A lot of stuff never gets done for the kingdom because people are convinced that they're not equipped or that they're not called or they're not qualified. I think we got to turn that upside down. See, I think we're putting too much pressure on the wrong place. Let's talk about that. See, look at what he said. Uh, The gracious gifts he has given you now that you belong to Christ Jesus Through him, God has, look at this, enriched your church in every way. With all your eloquent words and all your knowledge, this confirms that what I told you about Christ is true. We talk a lot around here about purpose. And I I had somebody ask me, it it was our youth pastor. Jordan asked me, he said, what's the most important message that we, we need to be teaching now? Well, obviously, the most important is, you know, you need to give your heart to God. You need to follow Jesus with all your life. But beyond that, here's, you're born on purpose, with purpose. God's got something to do in your life. Now, that's an important message, isn't it? But, but let, let's not get so enamored with finding my purpose. Because here's what we want to do. Well, God, what, what, when we say purpose, we think career or we think how are we going to earn a living or who am I supposed to marry? Where am I supposed to go to college? Listen, I believe God's concerned about all of those things, but that's not your purpose. <laughs> your purpose is to accomplish God's purpose. Period. Your purpose, your mission in life 
is to fill the mission of Christ. Period. Period. We, we, all throughout the, the New Testament, Paul uses that phrase, gracious gifts. Gracious gifts. Gracious gifts. Let me tell you what that literally means. If you, if you unpack those two words, it's gifts God offers to his people for his purpose. L- listen, God's, God's in love with you. You know that, right? You believe that, that God's, God's madly in love with you. But listen, he's not going to give you a bunch of gifts to make you look good. He's going to give you some gifts to make him look good. <laughs> and I believe, oh, I believe that God wants you to live a rich, full, abundant life. I just think we've, we've defined those words rich and abundant a little incorrectly. But I do believe God wants, Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you might have life and have it more abundant. Some translation says, have it to the full. I believe that he wants you to have a rich, full life. But, and I believe he's going to call you to, to live in success. Now listen, I'm not, I'm not we got to be careful when we start talking that way. Now listen, I, I believe that God wants you uh, to, to live an abundant, full, rich life. That doesn't mean everybody's going to drive a Bentley. That doesn't mean everybody's going to live in a 40,000 square foot house. doesn't mean that you're never going to you know, have a financial need, that you're never going to get sick. That, that, that's not what that means. But I do believe that, that what Christ wants for you is his best for you. Yeah. And I believe that you can live a successful life. But your success is a result of God's grace, not your talent and ability. Everything in you that's good, every strength, every ability, every talent, any wisdom or intellect that you possess is a gracious gift from God. James said it this way, every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights. (laughs) And then he goes on to say in verse 6, he says, this confirms that what I told you about Christ is true. See, isn't isn't that why God wants to do something full and rich and, and effective in your life? It's, it's not so you can flex your spiritual muscles and go, look how God's using me. It's so the testimony about Christ can be proven to a world that so desperately needs to know that Jesus still changes life, that Jesus still uses broken, flawed people to do incredible things in his kingdom, that Jesus still changes lives. I wonder if anybody in this room, Christ has changed your life dramatically. Well, guess what? Here's the deal. God wants you to do something with that life, and he's going to equip you to do what he's called you to do. When God uses you, in spite of your flaws, It serves as a testimony of the truth of the gospel. The word is redemption. How God can take a life that is broken and redeem it and make it useful, make it good, and make it beautiful. I I, I say this all the time, but it it just fits. I am not where I need to be, but I'm not where I used to be. God is changing me, and he's molding me, and he's shaping me, and he's perfecting me. And one day, I'm going to be able to look at him eyeball to eyeball, and I'm going to hear these words, well done, good and faithful servant. And and, and listen, 
The same is true for you. God's going to use you if you'll allow him to do incredible things. Because God partners with imperfect people to accomplish his divine purpose. Write this down. You are more equipped than you realize. Paul said, now you have every spiritual gift you need. You have every spiritual gift you need. You know what I hear him say between the lines? Stop making excuses. God's given you everything you need to do what he's asked you to do. Man, I will never forget. I will never forget. And I've, you know, I, sometimes I forget what stories I've told. I, I should probably start a counter because I tell them all the time. I'm, I'm 17 years old and I'm sitting in my pastor's office and I am freaked out. Because I didn't grow up in the church and I didn't, I didn't understand words like calling and ministry. And I just sat in, in this big leather chair with my pastor that was really only about 5'8", but I, in my mind he was about 7'4", just this mountain of a man. And I, I, said, I said, Pastor, I, I don't know how to explain what's going on in my heart. And he said, just tell me what's, what's, what's in your head, what's going on, Dwayne? And I said, I think I'm supposed to do what you do. And he said, okay. No, what, what, what do you mean okay? What, what do you mean okay? I said, I can't do that. I can't do what you do. I, I can't stand in front of all those people and with a Bible in my hand. I, I can't do what you, and I'll never forget these words, y'all. He looked at me with cold, gray, steel eyes and said, son, if God calls you with a pointy finger, he said, if God calls you, he'll equip you. Never forget that. It's been over 40 years. Here's what I need you to know. If God calls you, he'll equip you. If God calls you, he'll provide every gift you need to get it done. How many of you, including me, would say there's been a time when God said, hey, I need you to work in this ministry. I need you to share your faith on your job. I need you, I, I need you to knock on your next door neighbor's door and tell them about the good, good door and tell them about the good news of the Lord. And you went, I just can't. Anybody? Just me? Anybody? I just can't. Hey, hey, let's stop that. God will provide the ability. You, ought, you don't have a space for this, but you ought to write it down. God will provide the ability if you'll provide the yes. You know what he's looking for from you and from me? He's not looking for perfection. He's not looking for our, our degrees. He's not looking for a bunch of letters behind your name. He's looking for you to say, yes, I will. You say it, I'll do it. What do we say around here? We need to learn to listen to God and do what he says. If God calls you, he'll equip you. Listen to me. Write the book. Start the ministry. Get sober. Stay faithful. Open the business. Share your faith. Sing the song and preach the sermon. God will equip you to do what he calls you to do. That's good news. <laughs> You're probably asking the same question I'm at. I, I've asked time and time again, what if I fail? What if I fail? What if, I'll never forget our first Sunday. 
when we planted this church. And I remember we, some of y'all were there. It was at Covenant Christian Academy, and I was, we unlocked the doors, and we turned the lights and sound on, and I thought, what are we going to do if nobody shows up? I'd, con- I'd convince myself I'd preach to an empty room if that's what it, little did I know that in 2020 I'd actually preach to an empty room. <laughs> what if I fail? What if, we, what if I share my faith with this person that I feel the Holy Spirit tugging at me to share my faith with and they laugh in my face? What if I fail? Listen. Just because it looks like failure to you doesn't mean it's not accomplishing God's purpose. Noah converted seven people and saved humanity. (laughs) The beautiful part about God's Word is you can read all throughout Scripture. And see what God can do with an obedient failure. Here's one. Matthew, I think, is it Matthew 14? Jesus is, comes up on the disciples there in the boat. And they're like freaked out because it's a ghost. And Peter says, Lord, if you'll tell me, I'll walk on the water. And he did for a minute. And how many sermons have you heard where, well, if Peter would just had more faith. If Peter would have just kept his eyes on Jesus, are all those things true? Absolutely. And those are good sermons. But, but there's two observations I don't want you to get here. He got out of the boat, didn't he? God did something with an obedient yes, didn't he? Now, oh, by the way, now, now you've you got you to take this a little further. Years later, when God used one of those disciples to lead the early church, who was it? It was an obedient failure. So you don't know that God's not taking you you through something that might look like failure to prepare you for what he has prepared for you. That's, you need to hear what I just said. It might look like failure, but God could be using that failure to prepare you for what God has prepared for you. Just because our culture calls it failure doesn't mean god can't redeem it and use it for his divine purpose our culture celebrates success don't we can i prove it to you if you know that the atlanta braves won the world series in 2021 put your hand in the air it's not a trick question seriously put your hand in the air if you do not know who they beat to win it put your hand down See, we celebrate success. We don't care about second place, do we? Right? I could go way back and tell you. How many of you know the, the Atlanta Braves won the world championship in 1995? How many of you have no idea who they beat? Cleveland Indians. But I'm a nerd. Our culture celebrates success. But listen, I don't want you to, to define your spiritual success through carnal eyes. Listen, obedience to God is always success. I don't care what it looks like with your outward eyes. 
Because the outcome, listen y'all, the outcome is not your responsibility. Your responsibility is to walk in obedience to the God of the outcome. We listen to God and do what he says. The results are up to him. Because God partners with imperfect people to accomplish his divine purpose. If I were just reading this passage for the first time, I'd have a big why in my mind right now. And I certainly would have a big how. God, how are you going to use this church that is obviously broken? How are you going to use these people that are obviously flawed to, to do something that's going to last forever and forever? How? Well, he tells us. If you keep reading, it says, God will do this, for he is faithful to do what he says. So write this down. God's faithfulness eclipses your flaws. I wonder if you've ever had this thought, because I have. God, my failure... My flaws are too big for me to be able to do what you're asking me to do. My shortcomings are far too short. My failure is far too significant. You're giving yourself a whole lot of credit. You think that your failure can eclipse the faithfulness of God? I used that word eclipse on purpose. There's going to be a picture pop up on the screen. Anybody ever seen a lunar eclipse? It's the coolest thing ever. Well, maybe not the coolest thing ever. That might have been a slight exaggeration, which is also one of my flaws. But it's pretty cool because that's what you're seeing is exactly how it works. Uh, Earth moves between the sun and the moon, and it's, it's kind of cool because when you... When it's a full lunar eclipse, you can literally watch the shadow of the earth move across the moon. And it just is very cool until there's this moment when it just disappears. Listen, that's sort of the way God works in our life. When we begin to surrender and submit our lives to him, his faithfulness becomes much bigger than our flaws could ever be. His goodness and His mercy eclipses our own stupidity. Mm. See, the, the beauty of this scenario that I'm trying to lay out for you today isn't that God's going to use you. It's God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or even imagine. I can't imagine God using me to do anything because I know me. But if God calls you, he'll equip you. And his faithfulness will overshadow any shortcomings you have. Because he's just that big. In fact, now listen. God, use, God might be using some of us on purpose. Because God using us becomes a testimony. And well, if God can do something with that dude... If God can straighten her out, if God can use her, he can use me, right? 
Isn't that what this is supposed to look like anyway? Aren't our lives supposed to be a testimony of the redemptive power of Christ? Aren't our lives supposed supposed to point others to this abundant life that Christ offers? Of course it is. Your flaws aren't so broad. You ought to write this down. Your flaws aren't so broad broad that they can stop God from accomplishing his good pleasure. Now, are there areas in your life that you need to work out and work on? Absolutely. And and you guys know me by now. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that God doesn't want you to walk in holiness and that God doesn't want you to walk a life that's pleasing to him because, of course, he does. I'm just standing up here telling you, you aren't there yet. You're going to be. And, and I believe we ought to be on a walk of forward progress. In other words, I ought to be farther along tomorrow than I am today, right? Yeah. I, I ought to be moving closer and closer. And this book, Corinthians, teaches us that we are moving into the image of Christ. And that's what we should, But we're not there yet. And oftentimes what we do is we wait and wait and wait until we think we're there for God to use us. Now listen, I want... Here's the problem. If you think you're there, you're not. You got one job. One job. Our job is to accept the invitation. And he has invited you into partnership with his son, Jesus Christ. He has invited you into partnership with his son, Jesus Christ. He has invited you into partnership. Let's talk about that word partner, okay? Um, we, we can use that word a lot. And it could be, uh, it, it could mean a lot of different things. Like maybe you have a business partner, right? That's, that's one thing, right? Um, I, I like to play spades. And I played spades for the first time when Carl was over at my house for life groups, and we sat around to my deck on the table. And we played spades, and if you got, if you play spades and you play it correctly, the person across the table from you is your partner. Yeah, you got to have a partner. And now, when I was playing competitively, I didn't want just anybody sitting on the other side of the table, right? If you're gonna if you're gonna play on my team, you're gonna have to. Because another one of my fatal flaws is I'm pretty competitive, and you don't have to nod that hard. I'm pretty competitive, and, I, and that's one kind of partner, right? That's, that's, one kind of, that's not the kind of partner he's talking about. That's very superficial, very on-the-surface kind of partner, and it, it, doesn't, it doesn't mean very much. But if, depending on what translation you're reading that Bible, reading, your, your, uh, reading that passage from, that word partnership might read fellowship. Okay? Now, now, now when you go to church in the South, fellowship means fried chicken. It's a lot of covered dish, covered dish. Churches in the South invented the covered dish fellowship supper, right? I mean, that's not what it means either. There's a, that word fellowship, that word partnership is a Greek word called koinonia. Koinonia. And it literally means an intimate association. Okay. So it's not talking about your business partner. It's not talking about your spades partner. It's talking about your 
intimate partner. He's not calling you to be on his team. He's calling you to be his bride. That's the kind of partnership we're talking about. An intimate, forever association. We are locked arms with Christ Jesus, and he's in charge. He does the calling. We accept. And I believe that there's those of us in this room where God's calling you, and, and you've been afraid of the yes. You've been afraid of the yes. Thank you, darling. He's invited you to say yes. And, I, you know, I wish I was prophetic enough that I could look into your eyes and say, this is what you've got to say yes to. I don't know. But I can't tell you this. If God's calling you, he'll equip you. And obedience to the call of God, whether it's preaching a sermon, whether it's throwing down an extra 10% on your tip when you go to the, you know, for the, for the lady at the restaurant today, whether it's volunteering for a ministry, whether it's knocking on your neighbor's door, sharing the faith, maybe it's that guy in your office that gets on your last nerve. Maybe you need to take this with you. Always be thankful for him. And let God use his gracious gifts to accomplish his purpose in that man's life. You understand what I'm saying? It's, you know, we've created this culture in our country where, you know, we really think we're more important than we are. Right? I, I think it all started with Little League participation trophies. Some places they don't even keep score. That's a sin. We, we, we're raising a generation that thinks that they can do no wrong and that and we've placed... Listen, I, I value life and I value humanity. But in, in the grand scheme of things, man, we ought to be... Our life ought to fall at the foot of the cross. Come play, Donna. Donna... Paul said it to the Galatian church like this. I was trying to put it in my own words, but I'm just going to use his. Galatians 2, verse 20. Man, if, if I could tell you a passage to just build your life on, it'd be this one. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, if we're, if we're really living this kind of surrendered life, see, well, that's what partnership really is. It's surrender. Then you and I don't have the option to deny his invitation. When he speaks... We respond. Don't worry about the gifting. He's, if, he, if He calls you, He'll equip you. You've, he's given you every gracious gift you need to do what He's calling you to do. What if I fail? You can't fail when you walk in obedience to Christ. So I want you to bow your heads with me this morning.
first of all, if, if you're in the room and you say, Dwayne, I, what, what you said sounds good and I, I'd, love, I'd love to be there, but I'm not. I, I'd love to be at a place where I feel like God could use me. But I've just got too much stuff. I want you to hear me well. You don't have anything in your life. You don't have anything in your past that's strong enough to overshadow the blood of Christ and the work of Christ on the cross of Calvary. Your sin is not that powerful. But I will tell you that regardless of what's in your life, regardless of what you walked in this building with. The, the blood of Christ is faithful to save and powerful to redeem. And what I mean by that is God can take all that's wrong and make it right. He can cast your sin as far as the east is from the west into a sea of forgetfulness never to be remembered again. And God can use you right where you're at. He needs your yes. So maybe your first yes is going to be to the work of Christ. God, I believe that your son Jesus, I do believe that he died on the cross for my sins. I do believe that he gave his life for my deliverance and for my freedom. I do believe. I do believe. Maybe you've never said those words. I would challenge you to say them today as we pray. Or, or maybe you say, Dwayne, I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm, I'm a Christ follower. But you just don't understand what he's tugging at my heart about. It's bigger than I am. Well, it's supposed to be, by the way. I just don't know if I can do what he's asking me to do. Well, you can't on your own. But he's given you every gift you need. So maybe you're here and you just say, Dwayne, God's been waiting on my yes. And today I'm giving him my yes. And I would just challenge you. I'll say it like this. I've never had someone come to me in an office or on a, uh, uh, or, or standing here in the church or at lunch or coffee and say, you know what, Dwayne? I said yes to Jesus about whatever. And it was a bad idea. It didn't work out well. Not one time. Never had anyone say, I said yes to a call. I said yes to a mission. I said yes to God's purpose for my life. And it didn't work out well. I've never had one person say that. I've had lots of people that might have started down a, a, a path of following Christ and, and stepped off the path, myself included. But what I hope you're hearing it from my heart today, y'all, is that Christ has something for you to do with your life. And he's given you everything you need to do it. And he's waiting on your yes. So I just pray that you would pray to that end, especially if you're in the room today 
and you want to say yes to following Jesus with your life, man, do that today. Now I'm going to pray with you. Donna's going to sing this chorus. And you can pray right where you're sitting. And that's fine. You can come and kneel around this altar, and that's fine. But I'm just going to challenge you to say yes. Not, not to worry about the, all the ifs, all the questions. Just say yes to Jesus. Come on, Donna, sing that song. Sing that chorus. Holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder. Show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. Holy, there is no stand across this building come on just in a spirit of unity let's just lift our hands toward heaven Father we stand before you as broken imperfect people but God we thank you that you are redeeming us you are growing us you are forming us and shaping us into the image of your son Jesus and so, God, we say collectively and individually yes to, to your will, to your plan, to your purpose. We say yes. God, whatever you call us to do, whatever you ask us to do, we say yes. God, if, if it's something here in this church, we say yes. If it's something on our job, we say yes. If it's something with our family, with our friends, we say yes. We will say yes when you call. And we believe collectively and individually that you will equip us to do the work that you've called us to do. This is your mission. It is not ours. It's your purpose, not ours. We surrender our lives. We surrender our will and our way and our purpose to yours, to the only begotten Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. Our old self has been crucified with Christ. And the life we live, we now live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. We love you, Jesus. And we say yes. We say yes to you today, God. We worship you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Come on, offer the Lord an ovation of praise for his goodness and his mercy.